let's get to the word, right? We are in Mark chapter 10, right? Mark chapter 10. Let's, uh, let's pray and read the word and get into it. Jesus, thank you that we get to spend some time in your word. I just pray that you open our hearts. May we be good soils to receive your word and to act on your word and to let your word take effect in our lives. Continue to teach us uh, through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen, amen. So Mark 10, beginning with verse one says, then Jesus left Capernaum and went down to the region of Judea and into the area east of the Jordan River. Once again, crowds gathered around him And as usual, he was teaching them. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question, right? Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them with a question. What did Moses say in the law about divorce? Well, he permitted it, they replied. He said, A man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and sent her away. But Jesus responded, He wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But God made them male and female from the beginning of creation. This explains why a man lives his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer Two but one. Let no one split apart what God has joined together. Verse 10. Later, when he was alone with his disciples in the house, they brought up the subject again. Again, He told them, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries someone else, she commits adultery. This is God's word to us today. So, We are in Mark 10, and once again, uh, we see a pattern where the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they come to Jesus, and they try to trap Jesus into uh, saying something opposite of what the Word says. They try to make Jesus stumble, right? They want Jesus to contradict the word, because they're trying to uh, find ways to uh, falsify and nullify Jesus's ministry. And so this time they bring up the issue of divorce. And interesting, uh, they asked Jesus, what, what, what should a man, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife, right? And Jesus answered with the question. Jesus is so uh, good at doing this, always asking a question with a question, because he knows that, that their question has ulterior motives, right? It's one thing to have a genuine question. It's another thing when your question has a, a different motive to it, like a, 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 some type of subtle thing that you're trying to accomplish. And Jesus knew that about the Pharisees. So he's like, you know what? Let me ask you a question about that same question you just asked me, which is, what did Moses say in the law about divorce, right? And they replied, he said a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, which basically they were quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says this, right? Uh, This is what Moses had written in Deuteronomy. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he 
and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, right? So this is what they were kind of referring to, uh, the law of Moses. And so Jesus uh, points back to that. Uh, and the question that, that they were always debating, even prior to Jesus coming on the scene, is what does the indecent part mean, right? So in other words, what, what are the grounds that makes divorce uh, proper or makes divorce legal, right? What, what is the grounds? That's the debate, right? Some teachers of the law believe that indecency mean uh, sexual immorality, right? Other teachers uh, took a, a much step further and says indecency means any indiscretion. Anything that the man felt was unright within the marriage was grounds for divorce. Even down to, believe it or not, down to like burning the breakfast if she doesn't, she doesn't uh, cook well or all this really nonsense stuff that became grounds for divorce, right? And so this is what they're trying to, to pin Jesus on and try to find ways to make Jesus say something that the word is not saying. And Jesus, as always, as we've been seeing, Jesus emphasizes the heart of the matter, right? The law has to be attached to the heart of the matter, right? Jesus says that Moses did not commend divorce. He permitted it, like he allowed it because of the hardness of the people's hearts, right? Meaning that the hardness of the offended party, right? Someone, the one who was being unfaithful, right? Moses says, okay, I'll allow it. But also the hardness of the offended party, being unable to forgive and to restore the relationship. So it wasn't that this was a commandment. It was more that because of the hardness of people's hearts, Moses allowed it to happen. And Jesus once again shows that when it comes to heart matters, it's not one size fits all, right? Each situation is unique, right? So each situation has to be looked at from a different angle, different perspective, not just from the letter of the law, because sometimes the, we can use that as an excuse to do something that it wasn't necessarily what God intended for the law to say, right? So we can argue about what the indecent behavior is, but lose the heart of why is it that we got married in the first place? And so Jesus, once again, what he does is he's so brilliant, right? He transitions from a talk about divorce to a talk about marriage, right? In other words, the problem is not, underst is not understanding the proper meaning of marriage according to God. So Jesus is so, so, again, so wise in his perspective. He says, if we don't want divorce to be an issue, we must have a biblical understanding of marriage. And so Jesus goes on to quote Genesis chapter 1. Basically, Jesus says we must go back to the beginning to truly understand the true meaning of marriage and to not have the wrong understanding and perspective of why you should have a divorce. So he quotes Genesis 1 when God created male and female, Adam and Eve, and, and blessed them and blessed the sanctity in the sacredness of marriage right from the beginning, right? And Jesus said, God made them male and female, which means God has ownership over us and over the sacredness of what a holy union is that we call marriage, right? First of all, our gender is sacred, 
because it's given by our creator. Here, Jesus goes all the way back to the beginning of Genesis to, to make that clear statement that God created us male and female. Therefore, marriage is God's institution, not man's idea. Like we didn't come up with the idea of marriage. God did when he created uh, Adam and Eve, right? And Jesus goes on to quote Genesis 2 when he says, two become one. Again, God said it from the beginning that the two would become one, right? And the two are united into one being, right? The idea here is, is gluing two things together, right? To be glued together, to be joined together, to be yoked together like two animals when they work in the field, right? They get yoked together to plow the field and that, and that, that there is there is a blessing that comes when there's unity there and there's a, there's a yoking together, right? The bond between a husband and a wife should be stronger than any other bond, right? Even like your blood bond with, with your relatives, this transcends that, supersedes that. Why? Because it is how God ordained for this thing to be. It's a sacred thing. It's a powerful thing. It's a spiritual thing for a man and a woman to be joined into the matrimony of marriage, right? Two souls in one body with a complete union of interest. A life partner in good, bad, and ugly times, right? God says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper, a life partner, right? And they will be with each other through the thick and thin, through death do them apart, through sickness and in health. Whatever happens, it's a deep bond. It's a spiritual bond. Right? And Jesus goes on to say right, that, that what God has joined together, no man right, should split them apart. Right? Marriage is a spiritual binding before God himself. Right? This is not a social contract. Right? That's why when it comes to divorce, it should feel like it's an amputation. Right? It should feel like something's getting cut off from you. Why? Because you two have become one. And that's why divorce can be so messy because it's like it's, it's, it's really like amputating two humans who have become one together. Right? And in only drastic circumstances should, should an amputation be required. Right? And so, in other words, divorce should be the last resort. Right? It shouldn't be this simple, easy like, I, I just want to move on. But it's like, no, if you two become one, according to the blessings of God, like divorce should be the, 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 the last resort. And Jesus goes on to say this in the, in the Matthew uh, gospel, Jesus kind of gives you the grounds for divorce, right? In Matthew 19, verse 9, Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery, right? So Jesus says, okay, if there's going to be a grounds for divorce, for this amputation, it has to be that there is a sexual immorality that was, uh, that was in a mix, right? And, and even then, right, again, not one size fits all, right? Even then, you, you want to pray and you want to seek guidance. You want to seek godly counsel to see if this is the only option is to get a divorce. Again, this is the last thing that, that, that we want. Why? Because the repercussions of divorce are so real and deep in people's lives. 
And, and of course, when I say that, I know some of y'all have experienced divorce, and I pray God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's uh, forgiveness, God's strength over your life. But this is the grounds that Jesus said, again, the only, uh, again, last resort is that if there is no way to reconcile this, uh, this union between uh, a man and a woman that was blessed by God. And the word here, uh, this, this, this word for sexual immorality uh, is, is the word, in the Greek word is porneia, right? Porneia is a broad word, and it covers a wide span of sexual misconduct, right? In other words, it could be many things along the lines of what sexual immorality could be, right? That's why, again, I want to say this. We need the counsel of God and his people before making these tough decisions on pursuing divorce. The Bible even says that God hates divorce because he knows the, the, the ramifications, the consequences, and how much it affects a person. It affects their home. It affects their children. Uh, and, and sometimes those consequences are there for many, many years uh, as people have a hard time recovering from all of what it means to go through a divorce. Again, we pray for God's grace, love, and understanding for those who have been there or for those who are maybe battling in their marriage. Please seek God, seek godly counsel, and, and, and remember that it should feel like an amputation. It should feel like the last resort, the last thing we want to do. But Jesus, here, my friends, in Mark 10, uh, Jesus is kind of pointing us back to the beginning because that's what he came to do. Like Jesus came to restore us back to Genesis 1, to when we as humans had a beautiful, perfect relationship with God the Father. And Jesus, in a way, comes to restore us back. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to living in tune with our creator, our maker, our father. And Jesus comes to restore our relationship with God, but also with each other, where Adam and Eve were were best of friends in that garden. And there was nothing separating them from God and from each other until they violated God's trust and rebelled against him by disobeying him in Genesis 3. But the Bible doesn't start in Genesis 3. It starts in Genesis 1 and 2, right? So Jesus comes, another word for salvation is the word restoration, right? He comes to restore our identity, our purpose, and our destiny. And that includes our sexuality and our relationships, right? And, and, and if I ever mentioned yet, the, 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 if you're taking notes at home, the title of this talk is Biblical Sexuality, because we need to have a biblical understanding of what God intended for all, for all of us, that God has a plan for every area of our lives, including our sexuality and relationships. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, we all inherited original sin, right? All of us have been marked by the fact that they rebel because they are our parents and we are born into sin. We're born into this imperfect understanding of God, right? And we are finding our way back to God and Jesus comes to restore us back to him. But we all have rebelled against God and his will, right? Our greatest sin, friends, the Bible makes it clear, is the sin of idolatry, right? We have replaced God in our lives and we've replaced him with little gods, little trinkets. We've replaced God with pleasure. We've replaced God with, with relationships that are less than his relationship with us. 
and we replace God with material things and things that are less than what he intended for us. In the book of Romans, Paul gives this powerful understanding of what happened to us as humans once we rebel against God. Paul puts it this way in Romans 1. He says, for although they knew God, talking about us humans, right? They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts, the sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Unfortunately, that is the truth. We have all rebelled. We all fall short of God's glory. And God, in a way, said, okay, I'll take my hands off. And, and once God takes his hand off, we are left to ourselves. We are left to our own demise. We are left to our own selfishness and own sinfulness. And we are left to pursue all these things that we think is going to bring back our fulfillment, contentment, happiness, and identity. And unfortunately, uh, the, the more we drift away from God, the more we find ourselves in a deeper hole, and not having that fulfillment that we used to have in Genesis 1 and 2 before we committed uh, treason against God. And so since then, this has been the battle, right? Do we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to the will and the purpose of God? Or do we continue in our own ways, continue to do our own thing? But as believers, we want to be restored. We want to be restored by the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, by his redemption. And we want to be restored in full. And that includes uh, the area of sex and sexuality, right? So we have, unfortunately, have made sex a God, right? We now identify ourselves by our sexual preferences, right? But that's not how God originally intended it to be. That sex is a gift from God. Like our sexual identity is a gift from God, but we're not identified by our sexuality. We're identified by the gospel, like by the fact that we are created in the image and likeness of God. The imago Dei, God wants to restore that identity, but that sexuality is part of how God has blessed us to reflect him and to reflect his will and his purpose. Paul, again, in another letter to another uh, church that lived in a time where, and in a culture where they were inundated by so many understandings of sexuality, Paul gives them this powerful understanding of sex according to the will of God. And I'm reading from the message translation because I believe this paraphrase of the Bible really kind of brings it uh, brings a perspective to it that we need. He says this in Corinthians 6. He says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as a as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-model love. 
for becoming one with one another? Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. What a powerful picture and understanding of who we are and how sex and our sexuality fits into that identity, right? That we, we as believers become a temple of God's Holy Spirit. And so our sexuality has to glorify God and, he, and it has to become the type of sexuality that's seeking uh, the right understanding of embracing another human being and becoming one under the blessing and the covering of marriage according to God. We are meant to glorify God through our sexuality as male and female, to be enjoyed in marriage, right? To be something that, that brings the greatest intimacy with another human being. It's the Sex is the thing that you do that only should happen with your spouse, right? It's the most sacred thing you can do with another human being, right? And so, and so the scripture makes it clear that any sexual act outside of marriage between a man and a woman is called a sin, missing the intent purpose of it. That's what sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is missing the point of what something was given to us in the first place. And so it's, sex is much deeper than a physical transaction, right? It's a spiritual thing, right? It's a spiritual bond, right? It is, it is mind, body, and spirit, right? Becoming one with another human being that is being blessed by the presence of God himself. Paul goes on to say this, the same chapter, uh, Paul is speaking again to these groups of people who are coming to Jesus. They're coming to understanding salvation and grace, but they, they're coming from a culture that is inundated with the wrong understanding of sexuality. And Paul is trying to teach them now how to live in the will and the purpose of God, right? Even, in, even down to how they, they go about their sexuality. Paul says this, he goes on to say, or do you not know that you're, that, sorry, let's read that again. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually moral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, right? Past tense. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God, right? He says, man, don't you understand that's, that's, that's you without Jesus. Without Jesus, uh, all these things are keeping you from his will and his purpose, right? But now you are a new person, right? In, in the same book, in chapter 5 of Corinthians, it says, now you are a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come, right? Paul is saying, listen, you have a new life in Christ, right? And that new life in Christ brings new cravings, brings new urges. The old life, right, the life of separated from God, doing your own thing, has certain cravings, right, and certain lifestyles that it produces. Well, this new life in Jesus has new cravings and new ways of being human and new ways of even practice 
sexuality uh, because God has a plan even for your sexuality because he created it. He goes on to say, again, same chapter, uh, verse 12 through 15. He says, he says, here's what people say, right? I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us, he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall, then, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Again, Paul was saying this. He's like, listen, I know what you're going to say, right? You're going to say, I, I'm free to do whatever I want to do, which is true, right? God has given us free will, gave us free choice. But Paul is saying, yeah, you can do whatever you want to do, but is it beneficial? How is that benefiting your life? How is that blessing your life? How is that blessing other people's lives? Because, because now you are a new person. You belong to Jesus and your life is to glorify him and your life is to be a blessing to other people, including how you go about uh, sex and sexuality, right? Not every lifestyle, not every act, not every urge is beneficial. And he goes on to quote them. He says, in, in that culture, they would say, uh, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, meaning like, hey, if I'm, if I'm hungry, I'm going to eat, right? If I have a craving, I'm going to satisfy it. And so in that culture, it was, you, you can indulge in anything, right? Because they live by their physical cravings. But Paul is saying, as, as Jesus said, right? We don't live by just our physical cravings alone. We live by the word of God. We live by this word that, that, that satisfies us and comes to sustain us and comes to give us new cravings about life, right? So it's interesting, Paul says, like, you can't just live by your physical craving, right? You must live by your spiritual cravings now to be united with Christ and that Christ now resides in you, right? So to be, to be clear, being tempted or having urges is not a sin, right? Sin is when we act on those urges outside of God's parameters, right? Sin is when we take it upon ourselves to fulfill every craving that comes our way. And, that, and when it comes to the area of sexuality, that's for both heterosexuals and, and those who have homosexual urges, right? Because we have to understand there's something much deeper here than just the physical, right? Purity is deeper than just the act of sex. Right? Back a few chapters in Mark, we talked about Jesus said, it's not what, what, what comes into you that defiles you, but it's what's coming out of your being, right? your heart, your, your true self. Right? So inner purity is deeper than just an act of sex. Inner purity is of heart and mind. Right? Inner purity is when I have allowed the Holy Spirit to really reside in me and is transforming me from the inside out. It's transforming my cravings. It's transforming my mind. It's transforming my eyes, my ears, my hands and feet, my tongue. Like my entire being is being permeated by the Spirit of God and it's transforming me from the inside out. So when it comes to sexual puberty, it's deeper than just the physical act, but it's the mind, right? It's the eyes. For example, Job, I love what Job says about, about this desire for purity. Job said uh, in in his book, uh, chapter 31, he said, I have made a covenant with my eyes 
not to look lustfully at a young woman. That's powerful. Job, a man after God's heart who had an amazing uh, revelation from the beginning, God said, this man has my heart. This man loves righteousness. He loves justice. And so we see that, that the heart desire of a person who wants the will of God, it's from within, right? He says, I made a covenant. A covenant is an agreement. Like I've made a commitment. I made a vow with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman, which kind of echoes what Jesus said, right? If you look at a woman lustfully, you already committed adultery with her in your heart and mind. So purity is deeper than just the physical it's what's happening on the inside of me. Jesus said, your eyes are the windows to your soul, right? Like if, if your eyes are filled with lust and filled with greed, then your life is going to be filled with lust and filled with greed. And so it's deeper, my friends, than just the physical act itself, right? It's deeper because I am a temple of God's Holy Spirit once I surrender my life to Him. Right? In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, it goes on to say this. It says, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Again, what a powerful picture, right? Marriage should be honored by all. Like it's, it's what God ordained. It's what God blessed. It's what God initiated. God's idea of being, bringing two people together, a male and a female. And the marriage bed kept pure, right? Purity, again, not just the physical, but also the emotional, also the spiritual and what's happening on the inside of me. And God will judge the adulterer and sexually immoral. But I want to say this again. Um, we're all fall short. Some of us were adulterers and were sexually immoral. But now we are new creation in Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness. We can repent. We can turn away from the ways of the world. And we can embrace the ways of Jesus. So my friends, sex is sacred. It must be protected within a marriage covenant, a marriage agreement between a male, a female, and God is in the midst, right? Because the consequences is that now you are left to your own demise. And we know the practical consequences of, of, of sex outside of God's will. Number one, uh, sexual transmitted diseases uh, that, that comes as a consequence. Unwanted pregnancy is another consequence. Loneliness, you know, people who have given themselves away and thought that they were going to find, you know, some type of fulfillment, find themselves lonely, find themselves betrayed, find themselves feeling less than, uh, lack of purpose, right? Because sometimes you, 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 you're going, you're having sex with people that you don't even have a relationship with, white night stands, right? Le leaving people with just a lack of purpose, a lack of fulfillment. And the, the, the worst consequence is that we don't have the blessing of God in our lives. We don't have his anointing. We don't have his approval when it comes to how we're going about the thing that he created for us to enjoy in, in a marriage relationship. And this talk is, is challenging because, again, it rubs against the, the natural cravings. It rubs against the sinful craving. It rubs against the, the culture that we live in, right? Just like it rubbed against the culture that they lived in back in Paul's time in, in Corinthians in Rome, uh, you know, sexual uh, immorality was, was flagrant, it was raw, it was real, and it's not very different from where we are today in our society. So uh, th these talks are going to rub against culture. They're going to rub against 
uh, uh, some of the ways we were we were brought up. And and I remember when I got saved at 20 years old, realizing uh, I started getting into the Word and going to church and going to men's Bible study, realizing, wow, everything I knew about what I thought it was to be a man is completely opposite of what God had in mind for me. And it took time to renew my mind through the Word because the Word says to not conform to the ways of the world. Romans 12, look it up. It says, be transformed by renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve God's will for you, right? So this goes against the grain of everything that we've been taught, everything that the culture is teaching. And it's, it's, it's important that we educate ourselves in the word of God and that we are in the world, but not of it, right? That we want to be people of God's word. My friends, we are people of God, not of culture. We are not to conform to the culture but to seek transformation through God's word and through his spirit. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be different. We're called to be distinct. You know, we're called to be an option for people who don't want what the culture is offering, right? We are the new normal in Jesus. We've been saying this since we planted this church seven years ago. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is one of the life verses of this church, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. See, we believe that everyone is welcome to explore the ways of Jesus, but we don't affirm every lifestyle because if Jesus doesn't co-sign a lifestyle, then we don't co-sign it either. If it's, if it's against the will of God, then, then, then we're not going to co-sign it because we want God's will. Even if it goes against my very nature, even if it goes against the very thing that I battle with, that I struggle with, I want to reject it because I want to embrace God and his will for me, right? We're all on a journey back to God. All of us, Jesus is trying to restore every single one of us back to Genesis 1 and 2 to have a relationship with Jesus, with each other, and to enjoy everything that he has for us the right way, right? So we all fall short of God's glory. Therefore, we all need to repent and turn away from our sins. We all need forgiveness. We all need healing. We all need saving. We all need to hate sin and love righteousness if we want God's will. We all need to pursue holiness, right? To be fully his. And we all need Jesus, right? I want to end with a quote from a woman named Rosaria Butterfield who lived a lesbian lifestyle for many, many years before encountering Jesus. She's a college professor who had a, an amazing uh, journey uh, through to get to the heart of Jesus. And she rejected it for so long, which I highly recommend you look her up. But she says this about becoming new in Christ, right? It's, she says, conversion means that we have surrendered our lives to Christ, the real Christ, the Christ of the Bible, not the Christ of our imagination. A surrendered person does not set the terms of that surrender. A surrendered person must know who he really is in God's eyes. The Lord has given us one category of personhood. We are either male or female. That is, we reflect the image of God by living out our creation ordinance as a person born as a man or as a woman. Again, her name is Rosaria Butterfield and a great resource for those who want to understand more of this journey because we know it's a journey. We know that things don't happen overnight. We know that for her, she said it was a process of over two years of reading the Bible again and again, arguing with the Bible, struggling with the Bible until she 
she got to the place that she realized, I need to surrender to Jesus because even though I'm fighting against it, I can't resist his love. I'm having a hard time resisting his grace and his goodness for my life. And she left the, the lesbian lifestyle. And today uh, she's married to actually to a pastor and she now ministers to people who are coming out of their lifestyle. And people want to have a more a biblical understanding of their lives. And so my friends, it's a journey, right? We know that um, we may not be there yet, but we're on our way, right? It's about embracing Jesus, his love, his forgiveness, and his will and his word for our lives. So I'll leave you with some resources uh, on this topic because again, it's a hot topic. It, it's a very emotional topic. Uh, I know that all of us are affected in one way or another uh, uh, through many ways when it comes to the area of sexuality. And so here are some resources because I think this is one of those things you have to do some digging. You have to uh, explore. You have to dig deeper. You have to want to want the will of God. Again, uh, Rosaria Butterfield's uh, website. And I've been, myself personally, I've been trying to do my best to learn more about this area and, and do my best to help people on their journey. Uh, Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry. It's a powerful, uh, I would call it a memoir of her uh, a journey uh, from, again, uh, same thing as Rosario, uh, Jackie Hill Perry uh, came out of uh, uh, the gay lifestyle into Jesus. And today she's married and she ministers uh, through, uh, through incredible teachings that she, that God has allowed her to do. And she wrote this book. And uh, Preston, Preston Sprinkle uh, has created this website, Christian Sexuality, to really help all of us. Uh, there's even great tools there for young people uh, that I would highly recommend. Uh, young uh, teenagers, uh, young adults, I know you've been inundated with so much what the culture is teaching you. Go to this website and learn the ways of Jesus, the ways that Jesus intended for you to have a whole life, a full life, an exciting life, a joyful life, one that you feel fulfilled in, in, in every area, not just sexuality, but in all of it, because the gospel is whole. Like God wants to make us whole, like complete. And so I pray that, that this talk is, has encouraged you and maybe correct some things, uh, maybe admonish, but you know, we're again, we're all a work in progress, right? But it all starts when we truly surrender our lives to Jesus and let him be the Lord, like the Lord means like he dictates, he tells you what, what is the way to go. He tells you uh, how to live your life. And, and because why? Because he loves you. He's for you. Remember, we said a couple of weeks ago, if Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him, it's because he has something much better than the very thing that you're denying to, to, to pick up. And so I pray you allow Jesus to lead you, to save you, to rescue you, and to take you all the way home one day. But we know it's a journey. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So wherever you are right now, you know, you are always one prayer away from Jesus. And you are always one move away from getting closer to his heart and to his will. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that this talk tonight, today, has encouraged and has strengthened and has maybe corrected, admonished uh, our friends, Lord, uh, because I know it's a, it's a very heavy thing and there's so many understanding, misconceptions of it. Uh, Lord, I pray that your spirit can, can help people understand that we're not here to judge or to condemn, but we're here to clarify and we're here to point people to the ways of Jesus and to his will. So I pray lead us to repentance because it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. We want to live in the fullness of your will. Sometimes, Father, we need strength to surrender. 
We need strength to overcome the, the urges that are not in your will and in your purpose. So Holy Spirit, bless us, Lord, as we pursue you, as we come after you. Continue to teach us your way. Give us hunger and a craving for your word, for your truth, Lord. Lord don't let us settle for anything less than your will and purpose for our lives. So I pray you bless each one that is watching today. I pray your will be done over their lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, friends. We'll see you soon.